life precious from the start. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Abby Tales, presented by Abigail Ministries. Over the years, Abigail Ministries has touched the lives of so many that we thought it was time to share these amazing stories and miracles. This podcast is a celebration of Jesus' work through our ministry. We'll be talking to Abigail's founders, as well as team members, donors, community leaders, and some of the mothers and children who have benefited from Abigail. Welcome to our Abigail Ministries podcast. My name is Kamal Nazar. I'm the current president at Abigail Ministries for 2021. We thought we would start things off in our first episode with our conversation with one of our founders, Bill Gross. Abigail Ministries was founded about 20 years ago, and we're going to talk to him today about how it all started and where Abigail Ministries is today and where it's headed into the future. Bill, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. Uh, I would like to start off, uh, if you would please tell us a little bit about the beginning of uh, Abigail Ministries. Um, how did you folks get started? Well, it's a, a very interesting story, <laughs> rather unusual, I would say also. Uh, it was uh, spring of 1997. <clears throat> I was and still am the father of five children, happily married at the time, as well as now. Uh, and uh, I felt uh, to go away for a, uh, a little weekend retreat, you might say, uh, with the Lord. Uh, I was was and am a Christian. And I just felt I needed to uh, get clear on some, some practical matters as far as business and that. And I did that. I just went to, a, uh, got a motel room not too far from home here and uh, <clears throat> spent a couple nights there as well as about three days uh, just in prayer, uh, reading uh, God's word. And um, in the course of that time, <clears throat> um, I uh, would uh, alternate my times of reading and, and worship uh, with taking little walks. And on uh, one walk, I believe it was Saturday, I was out walking and uh, this was a first for me and also the only time this has happened. As I was walking, uh, I suddenly got a literal vision, um, uh, which uh, as I just said, didn't happen before. So other than when I first met the Lord Jesus, but, uh, and I don't know how long, uh, literally it was a vision that I saw with, I guess you might say my, my inner seeing, my inner eyes. Um, and uh, what I saw suddenly was a, uh, if you can picture a, uh, like almost like a bird's eye or a drone view of a little neighborhood. And this neighborhood was composed of little, uh, maybe duplexes or triplexes, something like that, uh, all arranged on a street or maybe a couple streets, I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> I saw these little residences and, uh, and intuitively as part of the vision, I realized that these uh, residents were housing uh, single uh, women that were either expecting a baby or had given birth to a baby. So there would be a single mom. 
And along with this uh, kind of uh, surrounding knowledge that came with this literal vision, uh, I realized that this uh, neighborhood with these house, this housing units existed to support these women, both as they were preparing to give birth and gave birth to their babies, and then for a period of time afterwards. Uh, and there was an organization that existed, a ministry, uh, to, uh, to support these women through this period of time in their lives. Uh, I saw some other peripheral things of, as far as organization and that, but that was primarily it, that, that um, uh, <clears throat> from this vision, I realized that God was showing me what he intended to accomplish. And uh, now I've, to back up, I was never involved in anything like this before. I had been a, a Christian for, uh, what, maybe 30 years. <clears throat> but uh, rate, involved with raising my children, involved with, with church life and that kind of thing, but never involved in any kind of ministry like this. And this was the farthest thing from my mind. I had no, no idea of doing anything like this, no plans, nothing. Just, I got zapped with this vision and I was dumbfounded. Um, I, I didn't know exactly what to do with it. I knew it was real. I couldn't deny it because it was, God made it so real to me. So uh, back uh, to the motel room, and uh, at some time shortly after that, I, uh, I called my wife, and I told her, uh, I said I, uh, something to the effect of, I know what we're going to be doing for <laughs> the, the next years of our life, and, uh, and I explained a little bit on the phone to her, and of course, <laughs> you can imagine her reaction. <laughs> it was, I was a carpenter, I was a building contractor. Uh, that's what I did for, for, uh, for a living. We still had, uh, I think, three of our five children were still at home at this point. And uh, so any, anyway, uh, I uh, uh, went home, I think the next day, uh, which was Sunday. And of course, we, we sat down and discussed this. <clears throat> well, so this doesn't drag out. What happened was within the next, uh, that next week, we ended up uh, getting in contact with um, a couple, uh, another Christian couple that we knew that were involved in pro-life work. In fact, uh, the lady was on staff at at that time, Rochester Crisis Pregnancy Center. Now it's it's got another name, but uh, uh, because we didn't know what to do with this. It's like we had a vision, <laughs> but didn't know what to do. We couldn't deny it. We knew it was God's calling, but we didn't know where to go from it. So we figured, well, uh, uh, she would know, uh, or maybe give us some direction. So that's what we did. She put us in touch with another couple, uh, Karen and Jerry Wexelberg. Uh, Karen Wexelberg was also on staff at Rochester Crisis Pregnancy Center. And uh, uh, we ended up, my wife, I'm sorry, I didn't introduce, my wife, Gloria. Uh, uh, and um, we... Uh, Gloria and myself ended up meeting Karen and Jerry within that next week uh, and uh, explained what had happened as far as our vision, or the vision that I'd received. And Karen was, was they, were, well, they were both, Karen and Jerry were so excited because it happened to be uh, a day or two before I received this vision, uh, the staff at Rochester Crisis Pregnancy Center had a, a meeting and they were discussing 
the, the very great need they had for a facility to house pregnant women and single moms. They had been placing these women in uh, private homes, but they realized it wasn't really adequate for the need. So they realized they needed something more. And this was right when the Lord, I say, zapped me with this vision. <laughs> so, so of course, we, we, we met several times, discussed possibilities here. But after uh, uh, maybe a week or so, we realized we didn't know how to, <laughs> what to do from this point. We had no church backing, neither the Wexelbergs, they had raised five children also. Uh, and neither they nor the Grosses had any, any kind of uh, uh, financial means to start something like this. Uh, but we, we both couples felt the Lord was, was calling us into this. So I figured, well, I guess we better just pray because we didn't know what else to do. <laughs> Of course, that's always the best thing to do for Christians. <laughs> so for the next almost two years, the Wexelbergs and the Grosses met regularly. Uh, perhaps, I can't remember now, I don't know if it was every couple of weeks or a month or something, but uh, along with uh, other believers too. It was primarily the two couples, but other, other um, interested Christians would join us in prayer. So for, as I say, for almost two years, we met regularly and prayed for the Lord's leading. Well, after almost two years, the Lord began to move. And initially, uh, of course, we realized, well, we needed a, a place uh, to house these women. And um, a lady that we, we met through circumstances, uh, somehow she found out ab about us and she wanted to uh, help. And she asked, what could she do to help? We said, well, we need a place to house these women. Uh, even though the, the vision that I'd received showed those apartments, yet we felt probably to begin with, we better start a little smaller than that and uh, maybe just get a home, like a group home, a maternity home. So uh, we mentioned this to this lady and uh, ended up, she uh, was attending St. Matthias Catholic Church, a parish in Sterling Heights. And they just so happened to have a building that was built as a convent, but it wasn't uh, being used as a convent. Uh, it, it had been rented out as a group home to uh, a, I believe a state facility for a number of years, but at the, at the time it was vacant. So the parish uh, officials were looking for, uh, to find a use for this building. And uh, so uh, the Wexelbergs and the Grosses met with their parish council We explained what we wanted to do. And uh, they uh, uh, listened to us. Then they, they had their meeting. Turns out there's two or three other groups I think that were interested in renting the building. Uh, they decided to let us have the building. Now at this point, we were not incorporated as a nonprofit. Uh, we had no bank account, no money. <laughs> we had nothing. Uh, but here we had this building, which needed not major renov, well, some major renovation, mainly decorating. So uh, what, what happened at that point was uh, Karen Wexelberg and Gloria, my wife, got on the phone and just started calling churches. 
they, they, they would just call churches out of the blue and, and explain what our vision was, what we wanted to do, provide uh, this support system for and single moms. And uh, one by one, two by two, whatever, church started committing support. Uh, we opened up, we got uh, uh, incorporated as a nonprofit, 501c3. We opened a bank account, money started coming in. Plus, what was really wonderful was churches started sending volunteers to work on the building. It, it was a glorious time. People would show up on the weekends or through the week, painting, uh, uh, tearing up old carpet, uh, uh, you name it. We, we even ended up rearranging some walls. Uh, and it, it was for a period of, well, actually, I believe it was uh, over uh, about a year we, we worked on that building. Um, and uh, all volunteer. We didn't. We didn't pay for. Uh, we we well. We paid for some materials with the money that were donated, but uh, almost all the labor was was donated. And um, we had a little hiccup with the city. They couldn't decide uh, what they were requiring of us. But eventually, got that that straightened out. And then uh, in uh, so after a good year of work in the. Uh, year 2000, we were able to open the building, and uh, and that was uh, was a wonderful time. So it, it's been just a little over 20 years now, as as you mentioned. So, uh, uh, but that's that's the initial beginnings there. And I can imagine uh, you you experienced a, a uh, some level of challenges um, <laughs> at the very beginning, as you mentioned, financially, and the uh, facility. And thank God, St. Matthias' place was available for, for you to get started. Um, so with that, Bill, uh, how were you able to obtain like financial support in the beginning? Was it all donors? Uh, did you get any help from any government uh, agency or the like? Yeah, that, that's another very interesting story, which I'll, I'll try and keep brief. <laughs> but... Um, the, uh, which I, I do want to mention along that lines, St. Matthias, the, that parish has just been wonderful right from the beginning to the present day. Uh, now, let me clarify, uh, I, I stepped off the board. Uh, I was on the board mm, almost 20 years, um, but I, uh, my term was up in uh, uh, January of 2017. And so I stepped off the board at that time and uh, uh, shortly after that, or later that year, I, uh, uh, I developed a rather serious health issue. And, uh, and I've been kind of <laughs> occupied with that ever, ever since. Um, but um, so I have not been uh, directly involved with Abigail since that time. I'm, it's never left my heart, but um, uh, I, I'm not up to date on exactly what's going on right now. But, for those, that period of time, as I was saying with St. Matthias, first of all, they rented it, the facility to us initially for $500 a month. They could have got four times at least that. Uh, then as time went on, eventually, several years down the road, they just didn't charge us anything at all. Now, again, I don't know what the present situation is, but so they have, I mean, 
that alone was a huge uh, benefit to the ministry, you know, not having to pay rent. And, um, but as far as the, the other costs, uh, one time, fairly early on, we got a, um, a, a government grant. Um, uh, it was related to child, uh, uh, early childhood education, uh, something like that. But um, we, we didn't continue that uh, until government grants. Uh, we just felt that uh, we shouldn't go that route. And uh, so, so basically all of the funding was through donations, uh, uh, individuals, churches, civic organizations. Um, uh, I'm probably leaving out some others, but that, that was generally uh, it. Um, we did, um, I'll back up one second also. When I initially received that vision, amongst a number of other things that the Lord spoke in the course of that, however long the vision lasted, I have no, no idea. One thing that I distinctly remember hearing was no fundraising activities. And uh, as I mentioned, I'd never been involved in anything like this. So I had no experience along these lines. Uh, but that was very clear to me. And I shared that with... Uh, um, uh, Karen and Jerry, to back up again also, uh, initially, the, uh, the board of directors for the ministry were, was the Wexelbergs and the Grosses. There were four of us and we were all officers. Of course, that, that board of directors expanded after that. So I, I shared that, what I felt the Lord spoke with me in that vision about no fundraising activities with the Wexelbergs and Gloria also. And, uh, and they, they honored that. So uh, initially, uh, it was just uh, donations coming in. Uh, after a little while, we, we did put on, uh, uh, for maybe, I don't know, a year or two, we did put on, I uh, had some uh, like uh, fundraising concerts. I think we did a uh, one or two golf outings, um, walks, something like that. We did a few of those. Um, none of them really produced very much uh, income, no, no return. In fact, one or two of them actually end up costing more than, than the, uh, they produced. So after uh, a little while, um, uh, we as the board uh, just decided, well, we're not gonna do that anymore. And we just uh, uh, really prayed uh, that the Lord would supply. And he did, uh, the, the money kept, kept coming in, uh, we weren't flush with cash, but the, the, the bills all got paid. Uh, there was one period of time where things got really, <laughs> really tight. Uh, and we actually had to close the doors for, uh, I think, a couple of months. Um, well, I say close the doors. We didn't kick out the women, the women that were there. We were still able to care for them. But the staff, to, to show the dedication of the staff, which is a whole nother uh, story, they volunteered their time during that period of time because they we had to have somebody there to take care of the women and they said look we can't we can't put these women out uh, and then shortly after that the money started coming back in but just along that line i just have to say more even than the uh financial supply that the lord gave us was the people the women that that he brought to us uh, there, there aren't words to describe the, the 
the dedication of these women, the love that they had for the women that we were taking care of, uh, the, the, um, the sacrifice that they made. They gave, all of them gave uh, above and beyond the meager amount of money they may have received as a salary. None of them, but nobody was full-time, they're all part-time and they all worked way more than they got paid for. But they felt the Lord had called them to care for these women. And, uh, and that's what they did. So. Great. That's very inspiring. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think you, you need to write a book about Abigail Ministries and uh, since, since the beginning. That, that's, that's a wonderful story. Um, we are talking again with uh, Bill Gross, one of the founders of Abigail Ministries. And uh, we will take a short break and continue our dialogue. Please stay with us. We're back to recording and I'm... Three, two, one. Hello everyone, I'm back sitting with Mr. Bill Gross, one of the founders of Abigail Ministries, which started almost 20 years ago um, as we learned in a non-building convent building over in uh, Sterling Heights, St. Matthias Church. And uh, until now, we're still using that same building um, thanks to St. Matthias Church, um, of course. Uh, we would like to ask Bill, uh, what were uh, some of your early challenges uh, 20 years ago? Well, there definitely were uh, uh, a number of them, to say the least. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Financially, I, I did mention that we did go through a period of time where, where it was, it was uh, uh, very difficult uh, for us. But it was very short-lived. It was a matter of a month or so. Uh, other than that, the Lord uh, always, always uh, uh, met, met the financial needs. But even more so, the the needs for the personnel, as I uh, also alluded to, um, that it just seemed like, as I look back, so many of these women that came to Abigail to serve on staff, uh, and also volunteers too. But uh, in fact, actually, if it wasn't for the volunteers, I don't know how we could have done it because uh, our budget was never that large uh, that we could uh, really afford to pay all the, the people that, that served the women there. And, um, and as you can imagine, we, we had up to, I think, about uh, eight or nine women at a time. And uh, sometimes with, <clears throat> with babies too, they were pregnant and, and sometimes with, with a, a baby. And, uh, and this is 24 seven. So um, uh, uh, it, it, it was a big job. And, uh, but the, the women that the Lord brought there, it was like he had prepared some of them for years and years and years. Some of them in terms of practical training and experience. Other times it was just their heart for these women, their love. It, it was they, uh, like they, um, uh, it, it was the, why they were existing at that point to serve these women. I'll just give one little example of um, Dora. 
Dora, at that time, she was in her 70s, I believe. Uh, she was a widow. Uh, she, uh, I don't know how much education she had. I don't believe past high school, but um, uh, she uh, came onto the staff and you could say, uh, I don't know what her official title was, but uh, my, my wife could say, my, <clears throat> my wife, as well as Karen Wexelberg, uh, both served uh, 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 as executive director and as assistant director and and secretary, <laughs> filling a lot of different roles on, on the board. But, um, but anyway, Dora uh, worked there for a number of years. And primarily what she did was she um, was almost like a, uh, a mom to the women there. Now you have to realize these are all young women. Many of them, uh, in fact, probably 90 plus percent of, of these women had come from dysfunctional family backgrounds. And um, many of them had never known uh, a normal family life. Uh, and, and in a lot of cases had never known real love from a mo mother or especially a father. But Dora served a function there. Dora had raised two daughters and uh, the, the women were just drawn to Dora like uh, a, a moth to a light. Uh, I heard time after time how they just loved Dora, you know, and uh, they just loved being around there, around her. <clears throat> and she was just like a kind of a mom slash uh, grandma to them. And uh, she didn't lay any big heavy things on them. She just loved them and they responded to that. And, uh, and, and it was good for Dora too. Uh, because she, in pouring out to these women, that of course fulfilled a real need inside of her too. So uh, Dora's one of the most outstanding examples <clears throat> of these women, but I could go on and on how uh, uh, the Lord brought Mary in to organize the office initially. And uh, my wife would be the first one to tell you, uh, she's not... Um, my wife is not business oriented, let's put it that way. She, she was a registered nurse by training, <laughs> but not, not business oriented. Well, Mary came in and just set up the office like she was just gifted that way. And just, as I say, over and over again, these uh, ones that the Lord brought there to, to meet a specific need uh, uh, for, for these women there. Yeah, and, and, and I hear you saying <clears throat> volunteers made this work. Um, uh, obviously, with, with God's hand, the invisible hand in the background, bringing all these people uh, to support you. That actually makes me think about the next question. How did you uh, recruit either board members or staff, understanding that you had a very limited budget to work with? So you're not you're not paying competitive wages so to speak to to, to those uh, wonderful men and women helping especially women of course more than men uh, serving uh, the the residents on a day-to-day -day basis uh, was it just word of mouth or um, friends family members uh, parishioners that go to your church I, I, I don't know how how big of a marketing plan did you have out there <laughs> and I'm sure there was no uh, 
social media uh, the way it is nowadays. So that that I'm assuming is is was pretty challenging for you guys. It, it was. Um, uh, I believe. Uh, well, first I I was serving on the board. I wasn't uh, on staff. Now, when while my wife was on staff, which was probably for 15, 16 years, of course, uh, I heard a lot of, uh, had a lot of direct input. And then also as a board member, of course, I, I was aware of generally what was going on. Uh, in terms of board members, that we we're always looking for dedicated board members uh, because it was, um, uh, there was a real sense of responsibility to serve on the board. We, we realized, you know, this was God's doing here. Uh, God's father's uh, heart for these women and these babies was just so evident. That, that's why he initiated it and why he continued to supply it. And so we all felt a real responsibility before the Lord to, to uh, do the best we could for Abigail Ministries. Um, and, uh, and the Lord brought, brought uh, board members, uh, ones that were willing to give a lot of time in, 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 in uh, serving on the board. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of background things too. And of course, a lot of them did other volunteer, board members did other uh, volunteering for the ministry also. Um, in terms of the staff, I don't know, it just, I don't recall, uh, Maybe I'm miss, missing some of the memories, but I don't recall having to do a lot of heavy seeking for, for staff members. It just seems like the Lord brought them at, at the times that they were needed, just, just as he did with all the needs of the ministry. And uh, uh, what was interesting was initially, uh, this is the first couple of years, we almost had uh, more of an issue with filling the house with the women, uh, which seems a little strange because the need was great. Uh, I don't know about currently, but for, for the time I served with the ministry, uh, there was, there's hardly any other similar facilities in this, uh, either Macomb County or the surrounding counties. Uh, there's a few places, but uh, not, not much. And there was, there was a great need, but um, it just, <clears throat> these women were, came from such a dysfunctional background that uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, they did not want to come into kind of a, uh, you might say a more restrictive environment in terms of, uh, well, you can understand, you're living in a group home with, with a number of other women and babies also. Um, it can't be a free for all. People can't be coming and going. There has to be at least a minimum of rules. Uh, plus, our goal was not to just house these women. We wanted to impart something of real value and help to them, both in terms of practical life skills and also particularly our, our main focus was to bring them uh, uh, into a relationship with Jesus Christ because we realized that is what will make the difference in their lives. And so there was, there's always a uh, strong emphasis on the gospel for these women. Some of them were believers as they came into the facility. Uh, probably most weren't. And I wouldn't say everyone came into that relationship, but I would say the majority uh, did. And ones that had a relationship were strengthened. 
uh, in that relationship while they were there. Well, <clears throat> that actually leads me to, to the next question. How important was it uh, for you to, to create a Christ-based ministry? Uh, did you have supports from pastors in, in, in uh, Macon County, um, um, deacons, priests? Um, how, how, how did God work in, in, in this particular area? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, that's very true. Uh, uh, he he did um, he did work in that way. <clears throat> there were, uh, of course, we uh, we always encouraged the women uh, on on Sundays or if it was a Wednesday or something to to uh, find a home church. Uh, if if their background was Catholic, we encouraged them. Then you know to whether Saint Matthias or another one, we would provide transportation. To, for them to get there, because very few of them had their own transportation. Um, if, if they had other uh, other Christian background, uh, some uh, Protestant background, we would encourage that. Uh, but also, we had Bible studies uh, and and other uh, aspects uh, of uh, uh, you might say Christian education uh, in the home that uh, uh, women or sometimes men could be a pastor or whatever. Uh, uh, would actually come to the home and 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 provide uh, studies in, in that way. So so as I say, <clears throat> plus even in the, in the the course of um, their the other living there, the staff was always looking for opportunities to share something of Christ with these women. You know, even in a practical way, very very uh, strong emphasis on uh, the Christian walk because again we realized. You know, we can put a roof over their head. We can we can uh, put food in their stomachs. Um, but if that's all we're doing, we're not fulfilling uh, God's raising up that ministry. You know, He wanted to impart something of Himself into these women, and and that was our, our goal, as well as other practical uh, helps that we could give them. So yes, the Lord supplied very much in in that way. It was wonderful. Great. Um, and uh, we're um, still discussing and talking and learning uh, from uh, Bill Gross, the founder of Abigail Ministries. Um, and uh, right now we're, we're actually wondering if you had a chance to, to see those women learning from each other. Um, any lab skills uh, and what happened after they leave Abigail? Uh, would they stay in touch uh, with the women that they um, literally lived with for for a year or two? Yes, definitely. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. In term, in uh, related to that, I'll just mention um, uh, initially for for a number of years. We had, uh, in terms of the organization of the house, uh, of course, we had the uh, executive director and uh, 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 other positions, uh, day positions there, but we also had a house parent model. And that was whereby we had a couple different couples that actually lived there. The first house parents were uh, Gary and Linda Baker. Uh, they, uh, right really at the beginning of the ministry when they opened up, 
they moved in. And to show their dedication, they lived up um, by, uh, it was, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was somewhere uh, near uh, St. Clair in that area of the state. And uh, of course, from there, uh, Linda was uh, a school teacher in a, a school system up that way. But when, when both of them thought about Abigail, they felt so strongly to give themselves to that, that they sold their house and moved into the maternity home to care for, for these women. And Linda kept, still had her job teaching. So during the day, she would drive, I think it was half an hour, 40 minutes to her job. At the end of the school day, she would drive that same distance back to, to be with the women. And of course on the weekends. Uh, and Gary had his, his job during the day too. Uh, and then we, we also had a couple other, uh, uh, they, they were there for several years and then we had a couple other house parents there, but um, to just again show the, the commitment that these people had to uh, uh, care for um, uh, the, the women that, that we're looking after. Uh, it, again, it was, it was uh, really wonderful. Um, I did want to mention something else too. Initially, uh, the city said that we could not have babies in the home uh, because of a fire requirement or something. Anybody that lived there had to be able to, in case of a fire, had to be able to get up and leave the house on their own. Well, that was a big disappointment with us because we envisioned initially having the moms there after they gave birth, having the baby stay with them for some period of time. We, we didn't have that worked out. But, but for, so for the first, I think it was a year or so, once the moms gave birth, they had to leave the home. But God sovereignly worked that at, at some point in time there, he changed the city's requirements and they allowed us to have the babies in the homes from then on. <laughs> so it helps have connections in the highest places. <laughs> that was a big step for us because you know, that's when the, 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 uh, a new mom is even needier than when she's expecting. All of a sudden, the baby isn't in her tummy with all of its needs being met. It's outside. It's got to be fed. It's got to be clean. You know, <laughs> any parent knows what's involved there. So, so that was a wonderful uh, move of God to, to change, change that. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, as they say, babies do not come with instructions. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sure young, those young moms did appreciate uh, the support, the moral support, um, the, uh, the life skills learning, especially as you mentioned, since they're coming from, you know, rough backgrounds and, um, uh, and, and and mostly uh, starting or strengthening the relationship with Christ, um, uh, I, I am sure they felt basically being total human beings after yeah. staying at Abigail Ministries for a period of time. That does remind me, I did want to mention that because you asked if we were able to stay in touch with with any of the women after they left. And, and that, that's true. Uh, particularly, <clears throat> um, uh, 
I know the Bakers um, uh, are still in touch. Well, uh, uh, Linda Baker is, unfortunately, uh, uh, Gary Baker passed away about a year and a half ago. But uh, Linda, uh, both of them were still in touch with several, a number of women all these years later. And also um, uh, every year uh, we had a, uh, uh, our annual banquet, which is a, another interesting story. I'll just give you a little side story in that. But the central point was at the banquet, quite often we would have former residents of the home come to the banquet, we just specifically invite them to come. And very often they would, they would share their stories about their time at, at, uh, at Abigail and the difference that it made their, in their life. And I'll tell you, those stories that they shared were always the most touching parts of the banquets. Uh, uh, sometimes I don't, there's hardly a dry eye in the house. You know, when, when you hear these women say, uh, there many women, get this, this is Michigan. We know what it's like in Michigan in the winter. A number of cases, where these women were pregnant, they, they were homeless, and they were living in a car in, in the winter in Michigan. There were, there were several cases like this. Uh, these women were so needy, and then to, for them to share how not only did they receive a roof over their head and, and nourishing food, but the love they received from the staff made, uh, uh, turned their lives around. And to hear those stories firsthand, oh, uh, no, you, you just, you, you could not resist that. Uh, so yes, there were so many lives that have been turned around by their experience at, at, uh, at, at Abigail Ministries at the Maturity Home. Wonderful stories. But I was going to mention about the banquet. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, initially, we we uh, uh, advertised the banquet as a fundraising event. I, I already mentioned uh, fundraising before. Uh, personally, I never looked at it as a fundraising event. I I looked at it as more a uh, reconnection with all the people that support that financially, volunteering churches in so many ways, I, it, it gave them a chance to reconnect with Abigail and see what their dollars and what their efforts were, were accomplishing. Uh, but the banquet did bring in quite a bit of money. But over a course of a number of years, um, the Lord kind of worked. And eventually, maybe uh, now it's probably been seven or eight years, the board decided to not focus on fundraising. So they 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 uh, stopped calling it a fundraising bank banquet. There's just the Abigail annual banquet, something like that, and and they they did not uh, solicit funds. Before we had hand out envelopes and that. Uh, I think we still made them available. The whole focus turned from or a good part of the focus from fundraising to just um, emphasizing what God was doing through Abigail in these lives. You know, as soon as we did that, the amount of funds we received at the banquet increased every year. <laughs> the, the less efforts we made for fundraising, 
resulted in more funds coming in, which was all of God's doing, you know. Uh, and that that really did a lot for for our faith. Believe me. <laughs> I can only imagine. And 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 the other thing that I would like to mention <clears throat> that we're we we are currently focusing on at, at Abigail Ministries is helping um, the our residents uh, to you know finish some sort of education, um, getting a driver's license. Um, helping them to find a car, uh, some sort of transportation so that they can uh, go to work on their own and go to their doctor's appointment and basically uh, be self-sustainable uh, by, uh, you know, um, all, all sense of the world. Um, well, uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, I, I hate to close this, podcast but it was it was really enlightening and and I do appreciate the the, uh, the historical part of it and um, maybe we should uh, schedule another one or two or more podcasts I did enjoy it thank you so much well thank you I really enjoyed it God bless you have a wonderful day thank you you too You've been listening to the Abbey Tales podcast presented by Abigail Ministries. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, visit our website at abigailministries.org or log in and subscribe to your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or Amazon. Thank you again for tuning in. And remember, at Abigail Ministries, life is precious from the start.